Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Thank you again for joining me. Just uh, another reminder about the Wealth Professional Summit on uh, May 30th on technology and leadership. I will be speaking there in case anyone's interested. So moving on to the show, today's guest is Eric Arnold. Eric Arnold is the CEO and founder of Planswell. Planswell is a online financial planning software platform that is really targeted at individual consumers. And what this does is allows them to produce a straightforward financial plan for themselves. But then Planswell on the back end helps the clients with the implementation. So essentially they will help them deploy the investments, the insurance, and the lending products necessary in order to make the plan come to fruition and make sure that the person stays on track and make sure that the clients meet their goals. So with that, my interview with Eric. Hello, Eric. Hello. <laughs> Hi, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Eric, tell me about Planswell. What does it do? So Planswell is uh, a way to figure out what you need to do on a monthly basis to maintain your lifestyle into the future. Okay, pretty simple. We'll come back to that in a minute, but uh, tell me about your personal journey. Like, Where did you start off? Where'd, uh, what led you to create this company? What was the impetus? Yeah. So I, I grew up uh, north of the city in Aurora. I ran a whole bunch of different companies, a driveway ceiling company, window cleaning, um, children's birthday parties, you name it. I can see how that all leads to financial planning. You know, that's just a clear line going right to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I got into something a little bit more relevant. I started a tea company, so I was selling loose leaf tea at shopping malls. That was when it was clear I was going to get into financial planning, and uh, that was before I did anything in the tech space. When that company wrapped up, we sold it to Teopia. We had all this leftover tea, and, and I was looking for ways to distribute it. And that's where I met one of my co-founders, Scott Wetton who knew how to use the internet to do stuff. So we got together and started working on an idea for that. We didn't end up doing anything with the T, but we started an independent music distribution uh, company for independent artists to have their, their music socially curated and then uh, distributed to subscribers and went on a string of about six or eight different kind of ideas that we worked on in the tech space, just kind of self-funding them. What happened to all the tea then? Oh, I still have it. Yeah. I just like give it away as gifts and stuff. It was like 10 years ago. It doesn't go bad the way that they say it does, but. Fantastic. So yeah, sorry. So that was just a quick joke, but going back to it. So uh, 10 years. So sorry, you series of startups continue. Yeah, no, if you, if you need a cast iron teapot for Christmas, let me know. But yeah, so we started off on a whole string of different tech startups and, and learned a ton along the way. Also, we're doing marketing for other companies as affiliate marketers. So figuring out how to ways, uh, ways to get people engaged in things online. And when the daily deal wave came to a close, so I was running Groupon campaigns and Wagjag and Deal Find and all those companies. And that was extremely lucrative for a while. And when that came to a close, at the same time, my wife wanted to move down to Toronto and, and to her master's of teaching at U of T. So we moved down to the city and I got my first kind of real job as a, an investment advisor at Wood Gundy. So that's kind of where the financial planning thing starts. So I, I got there and, and I said, you know, what do, you, what do I do here? I didn't really plan for this. And they said, you go get 300 clients. And I was like, okay, like by the end of the week or like today. And they're like, no, no, no. In your whole life, like that's the rest of your career is devoted to getting 300 clients. And if you can do that, then you'll be a huge success. And so I knew right away that that wasn't the right place for me, but they were putting me on this two-year rookie program and, and wanted to teach me everything about the industry. So I kind of took it like an anthropologist a little bit and just kind of sat back and, and studied everything I could with this big question of like, why, why can you only run on 300 clients? And why do they all have to be millionaires? Uh, why can't we serve all Canadians? And why can't we have hundreds of thousands of clients? And so I worked on different ways to get people more engaged and bring down the cost of servicing people. 
by the end of the two years, I was getting pretty fed up with using the tools that they would kind of limit you to use, which is like the phone book, basically. And we went ahead and we got... Uh, Does the phone book make a career out of yourself? Yeah. That was my first interview. I was like, I can do all of these things with the internet. And they were like, here's the phone. Here's the phone book. What if we told you this is the only thing you get to do? And I was like, uh, I'd take the job anyway. <laughs> so, so I sat there. And uh, at the end of the two years, I said, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna try some stuff out. So completely unbranded in my own time, just started testing out ways that you see if you can get people engaged online to make a financial plan. And we found out that you could. People would actually fill out all the information required to build a plan and request a plan. So it made it so much easier to follow up with people. You didn't have to wine and dine them and have fancy dinners and steak dinners and all this kind of stuff. If we could bring down the cost, then we could uh, we could service more people. It was always the kind of theme. So I started working with advisors and saying, how can we implement these plans for people? And that was going quite well. The challenge that we were seeing is that kind of the bottom half of the total investable asset of the clients, so the lower kind of half, if you will, of the clients creating plans, no one would call them. I couldn't get anybody to call them and say, you know, let's build that plan that you requested. Um, if you have less than $100,000, like nobody cared. And so I had this huge ethical dilemma. Yeah, they couldn't make the money off the mission, right? So make perfect sense. Right. And you're just not allowed if you're at one of these big brokerages to talk to clients like that. I said, there's this big ethical dilemma. We have to build a system that can actually produce the plan. And then we'd fulfill that ethical dilemma. But even if you produced a plan for somebody that has a $17,000 TFSA and needs to put 20 bucks a month towards critical illness insurance, like still nobody cares and won't, won't actually implement the plan for you. So we had to build a yeah. system to implement investments and implement insurance and implement mortgages. And I'm telling this idea to these like top kind of bankers and they're looking at me going like, that's what a bank does. Like, what are you going to do? Start a bank? Like you can't just start a bank. So I didn't. I was like late 2012 and I went off, I started a couple other companies and flipped a couple of houses. 2015 rolled around and that's when things were really heating up. So robo-advisors were launching in Canada and people were warming up to the idea that you could actually use the internet and the financial industry as a shocker. And so I started to meet different people and put together a team that, that could potentially, you know, make this happen. And early 2016 started raising spending investor dollars and kind of fast forward to today. We've, we've built the system and it does everything that we wanted it to do. And uh, we're still making it better and better every day, but we have clients coming on. We've made over 30,000 plans for people and. Um, it's just a, it's a really exciting atmosphere over here. 30,000. Wow. Yeah. In, in what period of time have you done 30,000 plans? In the last six months, I think we've done 20,000. Damn. Okay. Yeah, that beats my rate. Okay. Let's, let's, there's a lot to dig down there on. First of all, what you're describing in terms of that, that gap there or the people you couldn't even get people to call. Something that's been discussed a long time in this industry is the advice gap and you know the smaller client not being able to get proper advice or proper financial planning services and people complaining and worrying about embedded compensation bans re resulting in that gap growing. I've never been anyone, someone who believes in that. I just think the industry was lazy and couldn't find a way to service those clients. So I commend you for doing that, mm -hmm. for finding a way. So let's talk about the actual planning the experience, the client experience start to finish with you? So a client will, will hear about us. We, we actually get a lot of referrals now, but they'll hear about us through radio ads or like we have a bunch of different ad campaigns out there. Um, a lot of the stuff we do is digital. So you'll see us on the internet in various places. It'll have some kind of a call to action. Like, you know, most people arrive at retirement without enough money. Find out what your retirement income is going to look like. Like just really like the reward of doing this is going to be immediate gratification that you're going to have more knowledge about yourself. You're going to feel more confident. Uh, you're going to you know, feel like a hero at, at, at dinner time. And so people engage mm -hmm. in that and they, they'll go through about 40 different questions on average, talking about their investments, their income, their insurance, their debts, their mortgages, and every aspect of kind of all the ingredients that it takes to, to reach financial freedom. And that takes on average a median about three or four minutes um, to, to complete that. And there's a huge... 40 questions 
Yeah. So every question is like off the top of your head, less than five seconds. Like you can use round numbers. Like it, it works really well. There's a few areas that we yeah. wish we could ask you more, but nobody knows what critical illness coverage they have in their group benefits policy and nobody knows what their RSP contribution limit room is. So like there's certain things that we could actually tap into other data partners and like you could upload your tax return or something like that. We'll get to th- those things in the future, but you can rip through it in about three minutes off the top of your head. Every question is super easy. It's like one out of three people that start actually doing it, finish the whole thing who have never heard of us before. So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty like engaging and, and useful tool. And then at the end of that, it'll walk you through your plan over a number of pages, kind of one sentence at a time, just explaining, okay, this is what you're going to do. A lot of cases, if you have a mortgage and you're carrying debt, for example, it's going to talk about refinancing mortgages to lower your interest rates and to free up cash flow. It's going to talk to you about what money you need to put away on a monthly basis. Like generally the, the equation, I'll step back a second. The main goal that we're always solving for is how can you maintain your lifestyle no matter what? So pretty much everyone will experience a lifestyle decline in the future, whether it's in retirement, whether it's because they stop working ahead of plan because of like a sickness or disability, whether it's they're putting their kids through school, pretty much everyone, everyone struggles at some point in the future. So our goal is to even that out so that your lifestyle is always as good or better than it is today. That the restaurants you go to, the vacations you go on need to stay the same or better. So that's our goal that we don't, we don't ask you what the goal is. Like we just know that's what you want. And then, uh, and there's more, there's more to it, like, you know, elaborating on more complex goals as well, mm-hmm. but that's the main thing that we're trying to solve. And so we're walking you through a plan to showing you how you're going to achieve that. And then it'll talk about what you're currently doing. So I'm currently spending X on my mortgage and Y on my credit cards and I can put away 600 bucks a month to my investments and I'm currently spending like 200 bucks on insurance. Like you'll, you'll tell us all those questions in, in the beginning. We'll basically say, Based on what you're already doing, here's how to reconfigure it to be optimal. And here's here's where it's actually going to get you. Sometimes it's going to be a few years later than you wanted for retirement. Some people are going to have to use part of their home equity to fund their retirement. It's going gonna, it's gonna to solve the thing that typical advisors do with their intuition and their expertise and their experience. The engine, we call it, can solve that. It's like a, it's like a version of AI that can do millions of calculations to optimize everything for the client. So it walks you through all of those steps and then summarizes it for you. And then usually at around that stage, clients are hopping on a call with one of our plan pros that can walk them through it and explain some of the concepts and uh, just help them feel a bit, bit more comfortable with implementing it. Excellent. So essentially, you have a digital front end for, for capturing all this information, a financial planning software, custom built, I take it? Yeah, for sure. For basically processing all that. And then you turn around and facilitate the implementation. So in which case it looks like, uh, so what do you do on the investment side? Let's talk about that first. Yeah, so there's there's three pillars to implementing a plan. Not all three apply to every single client, but it's either a combination of investments, uh, insurance, and then mortgages or home equity lines of credit and that, that sort of thing. So on the investment mm-hmm. side, a lot of people are familiar with the term robo-advisor these days. There's companies out there that are onboarding a lot of clients and they're, and they're figured out ways to manage the client's assets, manage their money across ETFs you know, exchange traded funds, basically low cost, like pools of investments that are fairly passive and just kind of mirror certain indexes. So this is a, there's about half dozen companies in Canada that have this like highly kind of elite specialized license to be able to do that. And what that license allows them is to onboard a client without ever speaking to them, have a technology solution that can understand the client as well as a portfolio manager who took you to three steak dinners or whatever, and then invest your money on what's called a discretionary basis. So that if your portfolio needs to be rebalanced because one thing shot up and one thing fell down or whatever, the portfolio manager can just do that without talking to the client. And so that's, there's about half a dozen companies that can do that. We're one of them. So Plans Portfolios is a, is a standalone PM 
what they call a no-call kind of robo-advisor mm-hmm. license. So clients can actually onboard to that themselves. They don't have to talk to us or plan pro to do that. But in most cases, people are talking to us about their plan because it's, it's a bit more complex than, than just, you know, throwing some money away and, and hoping for the best. Um, when you have a plan behind it, there's a, there's a lot more logic to it. You're, you're putting away $372 a month okay. because you know, that's what you need to do <laughs> to be able to take the increases as, as you know, wages and inflation grow every six months, we make you redo the plan. You're going to update it. And so when it's in the context of a plan, sometimes you want to, you want to chat with it, you know, with somebody a little bit more about it. But yeah, that's, that's the basic on the, on the investment side. On the investment side. Okay. And then what are you doing on the insurance side? Insurance is, uh, so we're, we're like a fully licensed insurance brokerage, essentially. It's called like an MGA in the industry, which is like the highest level of relationship you can have with insurance manufacturers. So like Manulife and Sun Life and all, all of those companies. So we don't make insurance products. You're not, you're not giving us your money and hoping we'll pay you back when you die. We're kind of setting that up with the, the most trusted brands in the industry. Same as, same as with the ETFs. We're not manufacturing ETFs. Uh, we're picking the, the best ones on the stock market for you. And the same goes for the mortgages as well. So we're essentially like a, like a brokerage where we have access to all the different lending products. So plan pros on the phone, many of them are insurance licensed. And then we have insurance specialists that also hop on calls with people to help them understand, you know, what they're getting into and explain the different types of policies. There's, there's like three main kind of concepts uh, that we work on. One is life. So if you're leaving people behind that we're relying on you to contribute proportionally to a, a, some sort of plan for the future, that you're not going to be missing out on your contributions in your absence. There's critical illness or some people call it cancer insurance. So if you were to get sick uh, with one of a whole bunch of different kinds of, of like very serious illnesses, the insurance company would pay you while you're still alive so that you can get the right treatments you need. Maybe you have to fly to the States for something. Maybe you just need to take a bunch of time off work. Like there's a lot of different expenses that come up. And then the other one is disability insurance where, where you get injured and you can't work for an extended period of time. It keeps basically your paychecks coming in. Okay. So and then on the mortgage side, I take you just a mortgage broker and you deal with a handful of, um, of lenders. That's it. Yeah. Most of our mortgages are done for people are actually refinances. Most people don't realize it's, it's like actually concerning that most people don't know that they can refinance a mortgage outside of that five-year period. Um, so you talk to people from the industry and they're like, what are you talking about? Really? Yeah, no, it's, it's a huge issue. Well, it's like 90% of people on the investment side have money, have cash in a TFSA that their bank teller set up for them. They think that's all it's for. Like there's a lot of like misunderstanding in the industry. That drives me insane when I see people, these banks opening up deposit accounts when these people own, <laughs> owe them like tons of money. And it's just like, wait a sec. So you put them in a 1% guaranteed investment product in a TFSA, they're paying no tax on that, but they're paying you three points on the interest on what they owe you. Yeah. So there's a misalignment of incentives, right? When the when the same credit card lenders are the same people as the mortgage lenders, it's just it's a, it's a bad scene. No, I'm not going to suggest that you drop your 20% payments to me in exchange for 2%. So that conversation happens a lot here. People are coming in, they're telling us they're carrying credit card debt. Uh-huh. We're telling them, hey, look, we can make it go away. And they're telling us like, what are you talking about? I've never yeah. heard of this. So there's a lot of counseling on how to choose the right kinds of debt. Um, there's a lot of talk about that whole variable versus, you know, fixed rate debate on wow. what the best rate is. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not about the rate. It's about the breakage fee. Yeah. The average mortgage gets broken at 3.7 years into a five year mortgage. And 80% of the time they have a fixed rate mortgage. They pay tens of thousands of dollars Absolutely. in penalties. It's actually where the banks make most of their money. Right. So like having, having those kinds of conversations with people is, uh, is the main, main topic of conversation on the mortgage division. So. Now, you're doing a lot more than just technology here. I mean, the technology is the front end. So two things. First of all, what are you doing on the back end to power like on the technology side to power the implementation of all of this? So that's something that we're continuing to work on. So we've, we're getting pretty close to having it nailed on the investment side. So clients can get through the whole thing without talking to anybody right now. And that happens on the insurance and the mortgage side. 
we're still having like a, an expert at the end that just takes you, you know, across the finish line. Um, so that can be a quick call. It can be a, a, a series of longer calls, depending on what your needs are to, to really get comfortable with everything. But in the future, like within the next year or so, both insurance and mortgages should be uh, completely digital so that some clients will actually be able to implement all three trade lines without ever speaking to someone. Now, even if that happens, if that's like one out of 500 clients who make a plan actually do that, we'll still have mm-hmm. 499 clients that are in need of having a discussion. So we'll always have that, that support center for people who need it. But our goal is definitely to give people the ability to implement these plans on their own, which like as we're talking about, like if we can get the cost down to service clients, that, that's how we can service more and more clients. Like we've only created 30,000 plans to date. And the, the number of clients that we have fully onboarded now is only in the hundreds. You know, there's tens of millions of people that, that need to be serviced just in Canada alone. The only way to service all of them is to get the cost of service them done to nothing. That's the, yeah. the mission that we're on. So lots of questions there. So first of all, have you done any research into why people who go through your financial planning questionnaire don't actually implement? I mean, you said like one in three is finishing it. So if 30,000 plans are, is that 30,000 at the beginning of the funnel or the end of the funnel? So yeah, it's hard to kind of run the numbers based on the numbers that I've kind of thrown out there. A yeah. lot of the plans that we built were before we were even onboarding people. So we were, we were testing, okay. kind of yeah. learning, getting feedback from people. And then we have a, like, cause we really only launched in January of this year. So mm-hmm. we have this like massive kind of group of clients that aren't fully implemented yet, but that are at some stage of implementing or who have told us that they want to implement. But you, okay. you know, people in the financial industry get that it, it can take months to even get money mm-hmm. transferred in from one account at a different kind of bank or whatever to the account here. So it's all, it's all kind of coming together, but, it, but it's going to take some time. So what's your conversion rate, if I may ask, if, uh, or if you don't want to share that, that's fine. We can cut that out. It's not that I wouldn't share it. It's just that it's so nuanced, right? Like when, when clients come in on a referral, yeah. it's like over 50% of the time they become a client. When you have hmm. that level of trust, when somebody comes in because they clicked an internet ad and they've never heard of us before, they haven't heard us on the radio, then it's obviously like much like orders of magnitude lower conversion rates if they've clicked an you know internet ad but they had already heard about us on the radio four times there's so many different variables or if they heard about us on the radio and then they went directly to our website that is like 10 times better implementation rates than you know like i can go on and on but what we're really focused on is it's the same thing in, the, in any in this business across the board right it's a, there's a trust factor that has to be had because end of the day you know <laughs> you're, you're a website big deal right if they don't know that you're a tangible business behind it that's done, that's done good things for people then what's what are the odds of them giving you the business right to none. so the goal is to get the technology to build the trust so that we can mm-hmm. get to the point where we haven't had to spend a lot of money like a typical high net worth investment advisor is spending like well over ten thousand dollars to win over one client's trust, which is why they could only serve. I've heard that stat, but I've never come close to that number. So <laughs> I will debate that. Yeah. So I, I worked with a lot of high net worth advisors, helping them with yeah. their businesses, helping them with their seminars and their, you know, their lunch and learns and their telemarketing centers to get invite people, all that kind of stuff. If you, if you add that up, there's the advertising cost, but there's also the, the cost of the time. If you're creating a plan for somebody, we're talking yeah. like 10 hours of putzing around with terrible software and then meeting the client on three different occasions to show them like the kind of benchmarks that you've hit. Here's a plan that doesn't work or here, you know, here's the meeting where I get your notice of assessment, like all of this different stuff. When you include the time, like the average or the typical advisor, what they're making, the, like the opportunity cost of their time. And yeah, that all together, it does actually rack up in that kind of $10,000 range. 
Oh, I think it's correct. This depends, but we can debate that a different time. <laughs> so how big is your, how big is your team? Cause I just, I'm saying that just because I know like our system for onboarding is pretty efficient and we don't have those three meetings for putzing around. Like we're, we're pretty streamlined and we do some very complex stuff, but that's, that's me. And that, I know that many people live that world you're talking about. Yeah. So I can definitely, and that's the case. So how big is your team right now? I mean, you got to have a lot of bodies to do the implementation at this point if it hasn't been automated. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we're at about 50 people. A year ago, we okay. were at 25. Next year, we yep. should be closer to like 100 to 150. And what's the split between technology versus non-tech? Uh, there's about a dozen people on the technology team. We basically are like four companies in one, right? So that's a pretty spread out thing. We have, I think, 12 people on the phones talking to clients. And then there's like mm-hmm. kind of management and, excuse me, operations and yeah. Yeah. So what are the biggest challenges you've faced of in, in terms of uh, launching this thing in, in just ongoing basis? I think any startup would probably tell you that funding is the biggest challenge. I've probably presented this story to over 400 people in the last year and a half. Wow. Yeah. And we've had, some, we've had good success with that. Like I think over 25% of people we tell the story to as a potential investor in our company became an investor. So we have a lot of different people who have, have, uh, kind of supported the cause and many of them are kind of former executives from the financial industry. Uh, many of them have nothing to do with the financial industry and just have their own kind of businesses or whatever. And they just see that this is a need that people have. And then more recently getting involved with uh, larger actual financial industry companies themselves. Um, I guess seeing this as a the next kind of evolution for the industry and, and wanting to be on the right side of the future. Yeah. So in terms of future development, like what are your, what are your thoughts on where you want to take this? So the goal right now is to kind of perfect the technology to the point that clients are onboarding themselves and it's, it's like much, much more scalable. And so that we can serve, mm-hmm. you know, all Canadians and, and treat them all equally and not have any kind of preference for high net worth people. And so that's, that's been a challenging like comp structure to build for our team and we've been doing really, really well with it. So we get to the point where we feel like we're, we're really, adding as much value as we can to Canada and then to start seeing how we can expand this into other countries. We've already started to look at a few different countries and we're pretty excited. Anyone's in particular? Yeah. Like we've looked at a ton. Like we've, we've actually had two different M- MBA classes, one from York university, one from UFT do a ton of research on uh, like the pros and cons of different countries across Asia, like Africa, like everywhere. There's uh, like the obvious ones that would be like UK and the U S just because of proximity and, uh, cultural alignment and the same language and all that. The UK is actually probably a better country than the US just because it's all one regulator. It's Commonwealth. So the tax code's fairly similar. The Commonwealth countries are probably. Yeah. You know, 50 different items to deal with. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of opportunities. There's some of the more developing countries are actually super exciting because the cost to serve people is so much lower, but they have like mm. even more propensity to actually consume financial services. There's less social safety net. There's just more of a culture of saving or insurance. They don't usually get into lending the same way with mortgages. A lot of people are buying homes for cash in certain countries, but I've just been having a black or insurance. They don't usually get into lending the same way with mortgages. A lot of people are buying. Nope. You know, we've been looking at all, all different countries. Like the, the U.S. actually looks a bit daunting because there's different regulators for different trade lines and different states. And a place like the U.K. would probably be a bit easier for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one regulator for everything. And then yep. all of the Commonwealth countries seem to have fairly similar tax codes. So the way that registered accounts work and everything are, are going to be more accommodating to our engine the, the way that it is. So I'd say I, I'd argue that India might even be an easier country to get into than the USA, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Yep. So does it just end with those three lines of business or is there anything else you're looking at or thinking about? 
So like there's, when you have like the trust of a client and you're, you know, you're, you're serving them well, there's a lot of opportunities to, uh, to offer more things. We've generally shied away from all of those suggestions. We're hyper focused on things that will impact your ability to maintain your lifestyle in the future. If I save you $4 on car insurance, I don't think that's going to make that big of a, of a difference for you. So we want to stay pure to that, that mission. There's a lot that we need to do to master that before we'd be uh, excited to, to jump into another kind of trade line. Okay. So what's the feedback from the clients who've gone through the process uh, been like? Super you know, enthusiastic. Like I said, we're getting a lot of referrals. We haven't lost a client yet. I uh, know we haven't been in business for that long, but everyone seems to be you gotta say, you know, quite... It's January. That would be a bad sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I, we don't expect to, to lose clients. Uh, we want to treat our clients extremely well and, and just create like an enthusiastically satisfying experience for them. I think we're off to a pretty good start. Good. I'm curious. So part of the reason for starting this podcast was to basically pull back the veil on these these uh, fintechs that exist and explain to advisors whether or not they're competition or not. Clearly, you are. What's What's been the feedback from the advisor community thus far? I think it makes people nervous. It's uh, <laughs> like we definitely see a future where there are probably still a lot of advisors. I don't see a future where top advisors are making three or four million dollars a year. I don't even think that the financial institutions think that either. So there's a lot of pressure on financial advisors right now that are kind of top performers. But yeah, I think the technology can take away a lot of the specialization requirements of, of advice. So like, you know, people that are on the phones here, our plan pros are, are not making a million dollars a year. They don't have extensive experience in financial planning. The technology does that for them. What they do really well is build the trust and, and talk to them about our company and help clients understand what the plan is saying and holding people's hands through that process. Um, so it's a much more like cost efficient way of creating the exact same level of service as the top kind of servicing age, uh, you know, advisors out there. So yeah, I think that the, the general feedback I think is that it makes people uneasy. There's a lot of people out there that are huge supporters. They're like, yeah, I'm an advisor. My industry sucks. I, I think like, I hope you make it better and I'm going to come join you. Um, we get a lot of applicants coming in to work with us from the financial industry, but then you also get like the odd person that is just like really, really angry because it hurts their feelings and it, and it challenges like something that they've spent a huge amount of time, you know, and they think we're going to take their jobs away. And it, it's probably true to a certain extent. So like, yeah. oh, that's unfortunate. They go and they leave us like negative reviews places. And like, it's like, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's not going to be completely pleasing everyone. Like you, you saw what used to happen with taxi drivers and Uber and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm sure there's going to be a point where some of that gets a bit more dramatic, but hopefully everyone can get along. We'll see. I mean, it always astonishes me when people think that they can continue to do business the way they've been doing for 20 years without it, without having to change. I mean, show me a single industry that does that and, you know, you'll, you'll see that industry die very quickly. So yeah, in terms of the success rate. So, I mean, we, you know, I know the metrics a little bit hard on term, in terms of who you're bringing in, but what are you looking at in terms of average age, for example? Like, what do the demographics look like? So our demographics are a bit older than some of the more, Kind of popular robo advisors that you hear about. You hear about the robo advisor story as something, a way to serve millennials that nobody else wants to talk to. A lot of our clients are actually coming in from high net worth brokerages where they're saying, yeah, look, I've got, I've got a significant portfolio built. I'm approaching retirement. I'm nervous about retirement. You know, I'm sure I'm getting the best dividends from Enbridge or whatever, but I have no idea if I have enough money to get me through retirement with the same level of lifestyle. Can you help me? And our answer is absolutely, we can help you. So basically, they have an investment advisor, not a financial planner. And the guy who's running the substantial portfolio is essentially ignoring their real needs and just chasing Correct. return. That's so that, that's a common profile. Another yeah. common profile is we bought our house three years ago. We racked up a lot more debt than we thought we would. We had some kids. And now it's the time that we need to refinance to sort out our situation. 
and I didn't even know refinancing was a thing. Mm-hmm. So that's a very common you know, discussion. So if you own a home, you're much more likely to become our client than if you don't own a home is one thing that we've been noticing. So our, and our average client mm-hmm. age is right around 40, but there's a huge standard of deviation. Our, our oldest really? client's coming on this week is 93. Our previous oldest client was 88. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's uh, we have clients that are like three. Yeah. yeah, that is astonishing to me. So, I mean, first of all, good on them for well, them or their kids for figuring out how to use the computer and get the ninety-three year old to to accept that. That's astonishing. Yeah, and a lot of that is around like accessing <laughs> but, like home equity when you have like like there's a lot of people who, who have yeah. huge homes that are paid off and they're like struggling to pay the taxes on them because they never had a plan. And um, if we can help people in that situation, like my grandparents, you know, can relate to that. Like that's, that's definitely something that we'd like to help with. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. It sounds like, it sounds like a lot of the growth is just simply coming, going back to that entire investment, not advisor, not financial planner. So many people get into this industry for, because they like stocks or they like ch- trying to chase return and think they're going to be the next Warren Buffett or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And frankly, they sit there and talk about returns as opposed to what's going on in the client's life. And I've always been a huge proponent that says that the, the financial plan is the most important part of this entire piece. And that's what everything comes back to. And frankly, you know, it's been, I'm not the only one espousing that. It's been espoused for a long time, but financial plans require mm-hmm. work. And it just seems like you're just taking advantage of that blind spot that they have. And, you know, the advisors who should be worried about you, I don't think are more so the planning based advisors are the ones who basically refuse to do that and think that there's some sort of portfolio manager. Yeah, I'm not sure if they just like arrogantly think there's some portfolio manager. I really think it's a technological issue. Like when I was at Wood Gundy and then I went and I did some work with Investors Group and I just worked with advisors all over the place. Investors Group is a great example. They do all three trade lines like fairly equally. And they believe in planning. So they, they went out and trademarked, mm-hmm. quote, the plan at invest, by Investors Group. And they're trying to get everybody CFP license and all that. So they're really kind of bought into this at a corporate level. You go in and you find out, like, what, what percentage of, of advisors are actually making plans for people? And it's like 5%, right? And it's like, it's not that they don't believe in this. It's yeah, just it's like, here. you know, you ask why. And it's like, because it takes like 10 hours to make a financial plan using the tools that they have available. No, but I think I think it's also there's an incentive mismatch, right? And I think this has been a long-standing problem in the industry, right? Most people do not charge for the financial plan. So automatically there is a almost a loss leader right. attitude towards it, right? And you know, if you're going to spend time trying to basically maximize your revenue, you're going to spend time trying to drive in the assets for or the insurance sales or whatever it is. You're not going to invest the time and the money into developing the best planning process you can, right? Flip side, I and other people I know have done that and you know we've turned that model on its head and that's that's the mm-hmm. driver just like what you're doing essentially you're using the financial plan as a driver of all that other revenue generating materials but i just think that it's cumbersome but you know what there are some simplified financial planning software tools out there that frankly would get around that so i don't know that i buy the excuse that there's no arrogance and they don't think they're portfolio managers i i think that there i see a yeah. lot encounter that far too often but Nevertheless, I mean, the good thing is, is that you're, and I commend you for it again, trying to basically bring this to, to the mass market and, and, and trying to make financial planning more accessible is a very noble cause in my, in my belief. So out of curiosity, any other odd correlations you guys have found? I mean, the housing thing makes it interesting. And unlike, again, I'm quite surprised by your average age because just in the entire robo space in general, you don't hear average ages going near 40. When I say robos, I mean, just any kind of fintech space in terms of target market, you don't hear 40s, people in their 40s being. Yeah, I think there's the just average. a lot more. Like we can help people who are like 18 years old and like dropped out of school and have a job and want to like, like there's, we can help any, any profile of person, but there's, there's a lot more 
like complexity to the value that we can create once you're a homeowner, once you have kids, once you're in a committed relationship. So that I think that that skews it a little bit older for us. But yeah, the, the goal is really to create the absolute, the plan that's absolutely in the best interests of the client 100% of the time, no matter who the client is, and then have the plan pros on the phones not have any bias towards who they're speaking to, whether it's like the wealthiest of the wealthy or just kind of entering that stage of life. Mm-hmm. They know that they're going to be compensated fairly just for, for getting people to implement the plans that are best for them. And that's a complex like comp structure to build when it's not based on revenue, but we're doing a pretty good job with it and, and it's, it's leaving clients pretty satisfied. So speaking of comp structures, let's go to that with your staff. Given the fact that they're not really salespeople, yeah, so everyone's uh, on a salary. Salary. Uh, they do get performance incentives basically to get them... Yeah. Uh, excited about onboarding clients uh, with plans that are in the best interest of the client. So it's not about you know selling you a bigger insurance yeah. policy or convincing you to put more money into your investments. It's it's just about how how can we get them to serve the clients most effectively and then most efficiently. So they know that like the more clients that they can bring on, the faster they can get their work done, the more money that they can earn. Which is a much better metric performance than 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 sales because essentially, I mean, as a company, yeah, you're looking at the bottom line, sales matters. But I mean, in terms of the behavior, and especially in this industry, because we, we have such poorly lined incentives that lead to suboptimal outcomes for clients and in general because advisors are targeting revenue. The fact that you're looking at how many people can we help yeah. on like if you look at just last week for us, some insights like we have 10 people on the phones last week calling people who have made plans and trying to you know set up a, a demo where they can walk through the plan and explain it to them. There was over 90 demos booked and over 55 kind of hour plus long walkthroughs held uh, in a one week period last week. So it's, it's a lot for 10 people to be doing compared mm-hmm. to other stats in the industry. Yeah. So we think we're onto something. No, I think you are. I mean, 30,000 is not a small number. I mean, especially in a country of 36 million, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're at that point approaching, you know, a point zero eight percent of the population. So that's, that's very impressive. Good. So uh, before we wrap up, any last um, thoughts, any last hopes? No, I just think we're, like, we're really excited about about educating people a little bit more in a way that's going to make them feel empowered and, and make them feel like it's it's really one of the bigger challenges in the financial industry, I think, is is getting people excited about something that's going to happen in the future. I'm much more interested in how I'm going to feel immediately or what I'm going to receive immediately when I do something um, than I am like you tell me I'm going on the biggest cruise of my life when I'm 87. Like I don't care. I'm not 87 now. So figuring out how to connect with people on that level and help them understand that like this is actually yeah. going to impact like back pain. This is actually going to impact like marital success. Like this is going to this is going to make you feel like a hero when you're at Christmas dinner with your family. Like connecting to people on, the, on that level and understanding that like how big of a difference in your life today it can make by sorting out your finances, having a plan and knowing where it's going to take you. I'm just really excited to be able to, to spread that message more and more to, to Canadians over the next year. Great, Eric. Thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure everyone will appreciate this. And uh, thank you yet again. So that was my interview with Eric Arnold of Planswell. Hope you enjoyed that. Once again, if you enjoy that, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever it is you get your podcast. And until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.